The future is data driven. Regardless of what the current job market is, there will be always new roles being created around the data um, domain. Welcome to Lawagon Live. This week we have Jan Teichman, Senior Data Consultant at Trainline, speaking to us. Jan is a thought leader and data consultant with a track record of transforming companies into commercial production at scale. Trainline was created to revolutionize rail and coach travel and has seen huge growth. In 2015, it was acquired by KKR and in 2019, it was listed on the London Stock Exchange with a closing valuation of over 2 billion. Keep listening to get introduced to the fundamental principles of data science. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll start with a nice easy one for you, Jan. Um, uh, you started your career in data science quite some time ago now. How did you how did you get into data science? What was it that sort of you attracted you to to data science? Huh. <laughs> that's your easy question. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, I, I don't actually really know. I don't think I really had a plan. Um, I just did whatever I felt like. And strangely, that led to something meaningful. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I am a very early day data scientist, um, which means my background started in academia, like most of us. And I mean, I, I actually started with biology, but very quickly um, found my um, love for mathematics um, and modeling and and using the beautiful abstraction of equations to make sense of the world around us. So that that was kind of the first uh, major decision and um, towards like a more data science career. Um, I quickly kind of understood the importance of computer sciences um, and the power of using um, data um, to solve specific problems um, rather than just theoretically um, with mathematics and it, the application of statistics, et cetera, within, within science. And that's why I went into bioinformatics, which is basically like um, computer science applied to genetics um, using the first kind of real big data sets um, of like whole genome trans, um, transcripts, um, which were like a ter um, like a um, terabyte each, I think, or something like that. Um, so it is like the first kind of um, dip um, into that kind of um, career, which um, I then not immediately chose because I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, as I said, I didn't really have a really um, straightforward idea of what I wanted. I actually um, did a PhD in mathematics after that and went basically all the way back to um, to mathematics after kind of liking the um, the computer science a lot. I I, I don't know exactly why. Um, I, I think I, I wanted to have an academic career at that time and um, it's very competitive um, within academia and you, you have to like stand on rock solid foundations um, with like mathematics and statistics. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, I mean, I did pull through, <laughs> I actually finished that, but quite quickly I, I again kind of reassessed um, my my situation and like um, what I want to do in life. And a lot of this happened because academia is also fairly slow. And I discovered kind of a very entrepreneurial driven side um, in my character. And, um, and that was difficult to kind of um, find within academia. And so I, I started um, my own um, startup, um, which 
terribly failed. <laughs> and um, but I made some very good contacts during that time. And um, actually, then um, after I gave up on my own startup, I co-founded a second startup with some friends. And um, basically, that was my first real kind of commercial experience. Even so, I mean, uh, um, that kind of startup world is, again, very, very different to the kind of um, experience I then had afterwards in like big PLCs with um, heading up data science teams there. But yeah, so it was like first this very confusing academic career um, and um, then a few, um, few um, years of good fun in um, in the startup world um, that that startup um, Cambridge Energy Data Lab I co-founded with some friends actually saw a successful exit and Enerchange is now the biggest um, switching um, and com utility comparison um, provider in Japan so how much I contributed to that I don't know um, <laughs> it seems to be some of my success stories but again I mean um, it's it was like at the very beginning. I I I remember I was I was very good in mathematics, statistics, and machine learning. Um, I was terrible in in my understanding of how a commercial business works. <laughs> um, thank God I had friends who understood more of that, um, and I I could learn from them a lot. So that's that's kind of how my career started and came about but it isn't like a straightforward career path and it, i don't even think it kind of existed at that time um data science has been now around for like um 10 or so years within like a mainstream commercial application but that's roughly the time i had outside of um, academia so it's it's not like um, now where you have actually like master's programs and boot camps, which help people to get started in data science. It's been more like a random um, walk situation, which happened yeah. to end there. <laughs> I, I guess that probably, um, that leads into my next question quite well, actually. Obviously you, you started in data science before it was cool almost. Um, and uh, in sort of a more academic sense, what, what have you sort of seen change about the industry since since you've sort of been involved in data science. So if you if you sort of think back to when when you were one of sort of the very early data scientists in a in a more academic sense, what's what's different now? Obviously, you mentioned the, the boot camps and that sort of things, but what else has changed in your experience? I mean, data science is at the forefront of like technological innovation. So in that ten years, everything has changed. It's it's almost. I mean, when you look back at it, it's almost unbelievable how much the, um, the entire field of data science has changed um, on so many different levels. I mean, 10 years ago, it was it was a big hype and um, data scientists were unicorns and, and every business wanted one but didn't know what to do with them. And it was just like a wild west and um, headhunters throwing money around. And and it was it was a crazy time. Um, so the businesses themselves matured a lot in in the last ten years. Um, we went through quite as a roller coaster from that hype to a lot of data science teams actually being discontinued because it just didn't work out, and and these companies never saw any return from their investment into data. Um, on the data science side itself, I mean. In the early days, it was really, really good to have this academic background in mathematics and statistics because you had to kind of write a lot of these algorithms and um, 
yourself and you really had to have this deep understanding of how these things actually work um, to build models. And that again has completely changed. We now stand on the shoulders of, of, of a of giants of a really robust, high quality open source community, which produced um, so many really powerful algorithms and and um, tooling around data science that building a model is almost as easy as importing a solution and Python and executing it. So um, the entire field has changed itself as a consequence. Um, the kind of barrier to entry is much, much lower now for both um, data scientists and companies alike. Um, the entire cloud ecosystem um, around the data domain has has evolved so rapidly, right? From, from the kind of very early days of um, um, EMR on, um, on AWS all the way to like entire platform as a service offerings, like end-to-end -end data platforms, data ops platforms, et cetera. All of this has matured so much that it is very easy now to actually be a data scientist and to be a productive data scientist. Um, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. <laughs> what do you think that means for someone who's trying to get into to data science now? I know obviously a lot of people on this um, on this webinar are probably thinking about a career change or anything yeah. like that. Obviously things are a lot easier now. What, what sort of advice would you give to someone who is trying to get into the field in, in that respect? I mean, it is still an extremely interesting and interesting and exciting domain because there's still so much um, innovation going on within data science. The one truth about this is that a lot of companies um, still don't um, are that mature in terms of their kind of requirements and business use cases that they really need the kind of deep neural network um, innovation which is currently happening in within data science. So you kind of read a lot about this, but it's very hard to find day-to-day -day applications within most companies for these solutions. So it is more and more like a kind of a um, discipline where you have like quite a few table stakes and low hanging fruits and you just apply very standard, um, almost black box solutions to them. Um, that doesn't mean that people should be discouraged from going into this because in the end, from there, you have a wide range of opportunities to, to make your career more interesting. And, and I basically had to do exactly the same. And, um, in my, I mean, can talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of later career path and why I became a consultant. But the one thing which is quite interesting is that most of us know this kind of Venn diagram, how data science is this kind of intersection of um, engineering and computer science, um, statistics and mathematics, and the domain knowledge or business um, knowledge. And that in the middle, you have these kind of unicorn creatures who apparently are good in all three of these things. And that didn't really work out well for companies. It doesn't scale. It's very hard to find these people. Um, and with like all the tooling and the maturing of the tooling, um, but also the business itself, kind of solving this problem of this intersection of these three skills more in cross-functional teams rather than like trying to find this unicorn creature who knows all of it. Um, what you see is that um, the kind of advanced analytics side is kind of taking over a lot of the data science responsibilities and that um, analysts can now quite easily with this very mature tooling produce very powerful um, statistical models, um, forecasting um, um, and time series regressions, et cetera. None of this really requires a data scientist any longer. 
Um, and that frees up data scientists now to focus on more challenging problems. And basically this kind of role of the machine learning engineer kind of starts to establish itself more and more, which just shows how data scientists move out of that kind of uh, middle of the Venn diagram and move more at the kind of specialism between computer science and mathematics and statistics and develop this kind of algorithms which um, are very specific to companies' problems and you can't just apply these kind of black box solutions. And there, there's certainly an, a lot of really interesting um, problems in that kind of intersection um, and, and a lot of really exciting innovation happening. I mean, like, for example, um, the neural network um, and deep learning kind of um, developments. It, they're much more driven in that kind of machine learning engineering rather than that original um, data science um, position of, of, of that function. Yeah. In in your experience, which which companies are the companies that are, I guess, sort of benefiting more from the, I guess, the data science that you, you spoke about, sort of the black box solutions? Um, which companies are sort of implementing that sort of things as opposed to the companies that are that are doing that more advanced work? Is there is there sort of a clear industry that is doing more of that advanced work or, or needs those more advanced data scientists as compared to those companies yeah. that, that need perhaps some, some more junior people? I mean, unfortunately, what we still see is that there's almost like the kind of um, high tech companies that Facebook, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Google, all them um, applying really advanced data science and and seeing huge benefits from it. And then you have basically everyone else. Right. And that's it's very unfortunate because ideally everyone should have access, you know, to to this kind of data science and actually can have access to it because a lot of it is open source. I think when it comes to looking at the companies which benefit from data science, it's really just down to understanding that this is a radical transformation of your business and that you need to have wide buy-in into that data transformation. You cannot just start a data science team and hope that basically that transforms everything overnight. There's huge amount of cultural change involved when suddenly, you know, decisions are um, founded in data rather than on, you know, the experience, many, many years of experience of certain people who climbed um, the career um, ladder into very senior positions, right? And suddenly, you know, there's people like me who come out of university, know nothing about business and suddenly tell them that they're all wrong because the data says so, right? I mean, it is it is a huge challenge and it's a big transformation of of companies, how they operate, but also the culture within companies. And the ones which benefit from data science are the ones which do accept that and kind of embrace that data transformation end to end. And the companies which basically show you how to do that are the high tech companies who basically um, live and breathe data, right? I mean, when you look at the high tech companies like Facebook, Google, etc., they create free products for us to use just to collect more data um, because the data is actually their, their asset, right? And they create so much value from that data that they give us all that product engineering for free and we don't need to pay for that. And it really shows that, um, you know, what is possible, but also how radically companies have to change if they really want to see the full benefit of data, data-driven decisions, data science, and all of this. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's um, 
is something to to strive for for most companies, I imagine. Um, but not easy to achieve, I'm guessing. Um, I, I guess to, to lead on from that, you used to be a head of data uh, in London. What what did a day look like in that in that role? Sort of typically, what 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 were you actually doing when you were working in that business environment? <laughs> I mean, this was actually. A- it sounds very wide reaching and general that role, but it was actually very specific. And I was tasked with um, the development and rollout of a um, data science platform to basically scale up the production um, um, deployment of data science models um, me and my team have built. Um, and we struggle to bring this big volume of models into production in an automated, robust way. Um, and Basically, I was tasked to solve that problem as as a head of data. Um, And that was kind of the early days where as a data scientist, you could demand any kind of job title you wanted. But um, yeah, so my day-to-day was to look after um, quite a big number of contractors. And basically, I was like like everything. I was a developer and I was writing code. I was um, writing... Um, a data scientist and was developing models, but I was also a project manager, making sure that all the contractors were, you know, um, working and delivering on um, towards our sprint goals. I was a scrum master. I was a product owner, owning the kind of problem statement and trying to basically find the solution to to um, to this problem and build this platform, which actually delivers that. Um, so it was. It was extremely exciting, but every day was different. <laughs> um, um, even so that, I mean, in the later stages of that project, it was less hands-on and much more PowerPoint. <laughs> it seems to happen quite a lot when, you, um, when you're successful and you move into more um, senior roles. Um, there's much less hands-on work required and much more PowerPoints. <laughs> but, mm. yeah. So it, it was... It was a really amazing opportunity for me to to have this role. I learned so much from it and really understand all these different angles of delivering a data project um, from the data science perspective, the engineering perspective, but also like the product understanding on top, bringing it all together into like a commercial um, solution, which makes a company money um, because um, let's face it, data science isn't a very cheap um, domain. Um, all these um, Spark clusters, etc., they do cost quite a lot of money. Um, at some point, companies will ask for how, um, how you actually create value um, for them. So that kind of understanding um, end-to-end, this holistic view of the entire kind of data domain was really enlightening for me and really like helped me to establish myself also for my future careers and and avoid a lot of the mistakes um i've done previously and seen happening around me yeah absolutely i'm just saying there's there's a question in the chat here that's um that's quite interesting and that probably just relates to what you've just said there but would you be able to give sort of a real life example of how the work you did either at, in your role of head of data or, or somewhere else really benefited the organization sort of what was yeah. the, the the end business outcome of of the work that you were doing in data so that i guess you could, you could go back to the people that had hired you and say look this is this is the value that we're delivering yeah so it's quite interesting because in these situations we tend to share like the kind of big 
Chinese success stories and, and, you know, the kind of sexy problem which require deep learning and all of these things. But actually, if I'm honest and I look back, the kind of projects which made the biggest impact for companies are automation. And it's, it's mm -hmm. data is really powerful in doing that in automating processes, automating decision um, steps, et cetera. And the reason this is so transformative and valuable for a company is that not just that a computer doesn't do as many mistakes as a person and you have better, more repeatable, uh, more predictable results than when you have um, a human in the loop kind of process, but also you don't automate people out of their jobs. These people just suddenly have all this extra time to create incremental value for their company because you automated a part of usually a very hideous process or part yeah. of their job. So it's obviously not a kind of sexy, deep learning success story, right? But actually this is like something which in particular, when you start a data science team in a, in a company, is a greenfield kind of endeavor. This is the kind of first projects you um, should focus on. They're quite mm. low hanging fruit, um, but have huge impact, create big value. Um, I have, of course, built um, more sophisticated models. And on my blog, I have documented a lot of them, but all of them are heavily business specific. And that's something a lot of data scientists and companies underestimate how specific the final solution, which actually works. Um, is to their business and their requirements and how much time you as a data scientist actually spend like reading about this solution um, like in a paper or you know on a blog um, on, on um, published by Google right which is developed that algorithm against academic data sets good data quality you know perfectly balanced labels and then you look at your um, kind of business problem the data quality is terrible um, it's heavily imbalanced the data etc and you suddenly have to kind of um, port this solution to your own business problem and try to make it work and make all these adjustments that this actually works for that kind of very specific context so I do personally, I do like recommendation engines and um, I've built quite a few um, in different levels of complexities. And I do think that it's also something which is quite valuable for companies in particular, the kind of companies I tend to work for. They're like platform businesses. They actually don't really have a supply chain like a traditional business. They, they're in the business to make a connection between mm -hmm. a producer and a consumer. And they know very little about their consumers. They know very little about their products being sold on their platform. And machine learning and recommendation systems really can help these companies to basically create better value for both um, the consumers on their platform as well as um, the kind of third-party selling products. I, I guess to, to go back to your point about um, automation, what are some sort of easy examples or sort of common examples of processes that can be automated just for, for people that perhaps aren't familiar with the power of data science? What, what can change and what can be automated normally in what sort of areas of the business? So, um, for example, um, previously at Supla, there's a, there's a data ingestion pipeline, um, very complex, which basically is fed by um, all the different estate agents across um, the country and they all do date, ma manual data entry. And then basically all of this data is, is ingested, goes through pipelines where it is enriched, where 
images are manipulated and where it creates this kind of listing of a property on a website. And it's a long process. There's a lot of steps being involved and there are a lot of things which were already automated, but a lot of things which were done manually, for example, around kind of, let's call it fraud or like, um, 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 for example, estate agents who try to play the game um, um, a little bit, you know, to get on top of the search results and they kind of relist things or or just that image quality um, or an image upside down being uploaded, etc. That a lot of this was done manually um, when things got flagged up that someone actually had to look and. In particular, computer vision is an extremely mature part of data science, and you can automate a lot, um, you know, labeling a bathroom being a bathroom and not a living room, et cetera. And, and this really works really well with, with the help of um, computer vision models, and, and it improves the data quality. It, it even removes the need for like manual data entry of someone labeling that data in the first place. You know, you can just dump it <laughs> into that ingestion funnel and it's just like you have a um, you have basically these models going through all of these images and labeling them and assigning them their their metadata so that you know they show up in the search results um, and they're tagged correctly for for search engines, etc. So it's these kind of processes um, were really good. Um, I mean, before at um, at Rank, which is a is a gambling operator, they do have a lot of casinos, and they had um, actually also manual data entry of like dealers on tables writing down notes um, by hand, and then at the end of the day, someone was typing that into into a um, CRM system, and obviously, you know. You couldn't read that person's handwriting and then you know or fat fingers when you had to all type these numbers in um, at the end of a long day etc and and using basic algorithms to detect outliers and um, things like that is, is, is extremely powerful um, because in the end there's a dashboard <laughs> which the exec looks at right and wants to know the um, the kind of um, financial performance of yesterday doesn't help if there's suddenly a multi-billion spike <laughs> yeah. and you know obvious um, issues with data quality. So yeah, automating this kind of quality assurance um, in in the ingestion pipeline is is extremely helpful again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds like uh, just those projects alone would have delivered huge value for for the companies. I mean, there's two things that I mean, there's value in terms of money, and then there's like there's like reputational value for data science within the company, which is actually very important um, in the kind of greenfield um, teams because they have to establish themselves. Um, and you need this kind of early wins to kind of create yourself this kind of respect within a company that people start listening to you, but also sign off the kind of cost of like bigger, more complex projects, which require um, suddenly um, deep um, your networks running on GPUs because you want to um, um, do some computer vision pipeline. So it is very important um, to basically look at both the kind of monetary value and the reputational value. Yeah, um, which these successful projects deliver. That, that's really interesting. I, I imagine um, there's lots of situations where, sort of as a as a data science, you're almost speaking a different language to the the business people or the um the other executives that are that are that are bringing you in. How how do you try and sort of 
I guess, cross that, cross that divide and, and sort of tr try and speak the same language. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a highly controversial opinion, but I mean, basically I, I started off not knowing much about business, but knowing much about statistics and mathematics. And I was this kind of, I know it all person, you know, and I mean, I didn't care what people thought was right. I was like, well, I have the data, right? So I was this kind of arrogant person who was just like telling them, well, you're wrong because the data says, so obviously that's not a great communication strategy. <laughs> um, and I mean, it wasn't that bad either, but I mean, so this doesn't work. And it was a long learning curve um, to understand, for example, how um, more senior decision makers um, process information and how they make decisions. And, and that's important because data scientists happen to report usually quite into senior levels. Um, and it's not uncommon that, um, that you have to like sit um, with a CFO um, and explain them um, something or or like the, the CPO or something like that asks you about some kind of result and, and un, like analytics insights and you have to explain how that actually works. And this, they basically usually consume highly aggregated, um, refined information, which basically just like perfectly shaped to make a decision right and it's all around like don't waste their time just be really precise and um, cut to the point and then they make a decision um, when it comes to data science that is completely different everything is just a probability there's no certainty there's no model with 100% accuracy and even when we talk about accuracy just like a binary classification model has like 20 different metrics, I think, to measure the accuracy of that model, all depending on, you know, whether you like look at true positives, false positives, you know, precision recall, all of this. How, how do you communicate this complexity of like uncertainty, risk in these models, how you want to mitigate it, you know, the complexity of like measuring accuracy of this to someone who usually is used to get very refined, very precise information to make a quick decision, right? And there's a lot of problems coming from that. And while I for years tried to get better at achieving that, I probably never really did. And then at some point I, I got senior enough and experienced enough to again, be quite arrogant about it because if we live in a data-driven world, right, it is actually required for a lot of these um, leaders to become more, um, um, what, what can I call it, like data literate um, yeah. um, and understand their data scientists better than the, trying to expect the data scientists to adopt a language is just not suitable for, for data science. And, um, and I mean, this is not just like, the way you communicate is also like the kind of time which is allowed for a data scientist to actually present a full problem and the solution and all the different ways to interpret results, etc. Um, and yeah, so this is a it's a big shift and change, and this needs to happen. And it's actually what is currently holding back data science success the most. There are a lot of really good data scientists now. Um, and you know, people coming very um, well trained out of boot camps and and master programs, and can actually really deliver good value to companies. But what most companies miss is like really good leaders 
um, for data science and data who understand how data science works and creates value and who help these data scientists to get their solutions adopted by the business. And that's, yeah, that's just um, still a really big challenge um, for most companies. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a tricky one. You almost need a, a, a translator that sits between the two who's able to um, somehow draw 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 parallels between the, the two languages but i guess as, as you said it's um it's almost like the uh the business people uh need to upskill themselves because you you can't squash um statistical information into a into a, a language of certainties because it, it just can't happen i guess yeah um okay well i perhaps let's let's, let's flip a little bit to, to perhaps talk a little bit about sort of uh people that are perhaps thinking about getting into data science now um, or sort of considering a, a career change um my first question on that is probably what languages would you recommend someone starts with if, if they're just sort of starting to to make their first steps into data science where would you recommend yeah. they start in terms of languages so the first starting point for for this is sql and that's important because sql is not just a language um sql is a is a kind of a mindset a way of thinking about data and how you describe and think about transformations of structured data. And, and most companies, I mean, actually all companies have structured data and, and most what they do with their data is basically processing structured data. And SQL is not just the kind of gold standard language to do so, it um, is also that way of thinking about how to uh, manipulate, select, transform data in, in tables, basically. And so it's a very important starting point um, because it's a language and it's a kind of a way of thinking um, and, and a way of abstraction. Because while we um, SQL is a really old language, I, I don't even know when um, SQL came about. But I mean, it's also not a very complex language, but that doesn't hold it back because it is so good in abstraction that even like Spark has Spark SQL. And obviously, there's a SQL engine in the background which translates the SQL statements into, into that really complex distributed data processing instructions, right? Um, but thankfully, we don't need to know about that and understand it. SQL gives basically this abstraction that we know how to instruct what we want to do and intend to do with our data. And there's then that layer of abstraction which allows huge amount of in, um, innovation to happen around these SQL engines and how this actually then gets executed to speed up these processes, um, allow for bigger and bigger amounts of data being processed, etc. So SQL is a really, really good starting point. Um, after that, Python is still like the kind of most commonly used um, language within data science, but not just within data science. It's a very um, rich multi-purpose language, which has a super um, rich ecosystem of libraries and really good frameworks, etc. And again, Python is both a language, but also really good wrapper of other things. So um, a data scientist might write um, code using um, Python to um, with the NumPy library, but actually all of this doesn't get executed in Python. It just wraps um, other libraries written in C and Fortran. So again, it's like it's great because you you don't need to understand that, and Python really allows you to to 
tap into this really rich ecosystem of all these different libraries and languages under the hood, which get just wrapped around um, in Python and you have access to this. Um, there's like one kind of like weakness of Python. It's like how big it is when you create like models in Python. It's like it's like gigabytes of Docker images um, to create a Python model. And it's not a very fast and lean language at all. It's um, and it's not a kind of a strictly typed compiled language. There's a lot of kind of complexities around um, Python, which is like its strength also being like kind of its weakness. And I I do personally like Scala a lot for the kind of advanced engineering um, um, problems. And I I program these in Scala. And you see that like. Spark, for example, itself, we have PySpark, which is the Python API, and you can write um, your Spark programs in Python, but Spark itself is written in Scala. <laughs> so um, it is it is basically um, not where you should start as a data scientist, but that's kind of a little bit of like what will happen if you get into this as a career and you kind of are very focused on advancing your career and grow your knowledge and understanding. You will start with something like SQL, which is very basic, been around forever, um, but is a really powerful tool of abstraction and thinking. Then you go into something which gives you more flexibility like Python, but still basically allows you to use a lot of this ecosystem via that Python wrapper, and then you start to see the kind of challenges and problems, and then you pick the language which actually solves these specific problems better than just a multi-purpose language. And that could be Scala, that could be R, if you go more into statistical modeling, et cetera. But that's like a second step after, after you learn SQL and Python, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I guess one more question on, I get the, uh, the sort of the career side. Do you have any advice for someone who who is starting out and, and considering a move into data science? I know that that's quite a broad question, but if if you were starting out now, um, what what advice would you would you give yourself? Um, I mean, I, I certainly think you should totally do it because data will just get more and more important in in you know how companies operate and and how companies transact and make decisions. B two C, B two B everything. Um, and at the same time, it's where you see most of the innovation happening and it's where, where you have the chance to work on like really amazing future-proofed technology and then new technology comes along. It's it's just something which um, appeals if you never really want to stop learning. It's a, it's a really great direction. But I feel like that, that can also be very overwhelming and that's certainly like the kind of advice I would have for my younger self, um, because in the beginning, I really saw that I have to understand this all and that I had to like understand all these different solutions and technologies. And, and you know, you learn this um, on your evenings doing like um, home projects just to find out that, you know, this technology dies a year later because it never really got commercial adaptation. And, and so it is, it is important to um, not get completely lost in that really rapid innovation and try not to be on the kind of cutting edge because it, it's called cutting edge because yeah it it is it's a bloody business um, there and it's 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 very hard to know what is worth your effort and investments and so that's the kind of one advice we we tend to like 
quickly look and 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 run after these kind of shiny things the shiny new um build yourself rock solid foundations in in the things which have proven itself and um and this basically becomes your transferable knowledge to then apply to anything new when you have to but if you have these rock solid foundations in in these core technologies everything what has proven itself um and stood the test of time that's where you should start and really stay away from that kind of super shiny new even so it's so tempting um it is just really difficult to tell whether that investment and all that personal development will actually be worthwhile long term and you have ever a chance to use it <laughs> yeah absolutely and i know um obviously uh Lewagon has their, their data science boot camp and some people will be considering that here as well but outside of sort of a, a full boot camp if, if you're not if you're not perhaps ready to take that full step and um invest sort of uh, the full 10 weeks um or or a couple of years into to do a to a master's program yeah. are there resources or sort of books um courses blogs anything like that that you'd recommend people check out to um to sort of to, to get a taste of what data science um can yeah. be like if they enjoy it I, I mean, I am a strong believer in learning by doing, <laughs> um, which is funny because I come from academia. Maybe, maybe you know, it's like I saw all these years of like very theoretical work. Um, um, I mean, it's in stark contrast to how I work now and I feel much more productive in the current way of working. So I, I, I truly believe you can learn just by doing. And, and I mean, then, I mean, there's a, such a very engaging and open community of data scientists and data professionals out there with like webinars like this but also seminars um hackathons etc to get involved and and just don't be scared just jump straight back in and and basically find yourself something which is just close to you and um and get started and then um, you see how it goes i mean i have done hackathons with um with microsoft um, and with, um, with Facebook ones, and there, there were a few more, which I can't remember who actually organized them. But yeah, it is, it is hugely rewarding to just connect with people over a shared passion, learn from, from their way of thinking and their experience, and, and just have a chance to, to work on some real problems. Um, usually these events are, well sponsored so you can actually use cloud technology which would otherwise cost you a thousand quid um and you don't have to pay for it so it's it's really good to get this experience so i really recommend you to just look at local hackathons and and communities who organize meetups etc and just join and 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 that's gonna be your first step and you will never look back <laughs> absolutely and uh, I feel while we're on the topic of resources, we should probably chat a little bit about um, about your blog. Um, what what inspired you to start start your blog, and and um, and and how's it been as an as an as an experience writing that blog? So I, I started blogging out of like two main motivations. One was because I'm like someone who likes to share and is very passionate about data science and what I do. So I I have this desperate urge as a millennial to share that on the internet and um, get social media attention for it. But there's a second side to that. I, I struggled a lot to find um, the kind of business buy-in into the lengthy research work 
um, me and my team were sometimes doing. And we were looking at how we can create better transparency around this investment for a company to allow us to research new models, new technology, um, et cetera, without a direct business application because it's needed to adopt these kind of solutions to a business and then scale up kind of um, business use cases from that. And blogging was a really powerful way to show a company what we were doing, what the kind of value and the output of that research is, but also created value because it's a reputational tool. It helps to attract data scientists, etc. So a company benefits from this kind of visibility around the work of and the investment in data science. So these were the two main motivations of mm -hmm. starting that blog and and yeah, I mean, it is. It seems to be very successful. I, I mean, people do appear to read it. <laughs> and what's the uh, what's the blog called? Just so people can can look it up later. Oh, uh, it's it's just a Medium blog. So I mean, you just search my name on Medium, and it, it doesn't actually have a fancy name. That's how little thought I put into actually starting this. <laughs> um, first question I'll probably ask here is. Um, Salim has asked, what approach would you take to get into data science if you don't come from an academic background? We've kind of touched on that a little bit, but just sort of spend a minute or so on that. Yeah, I think it is important because this is like a concern of a lot of people and I can't repeat it often enough to not be worried about that. This is really not a requirement for data science today. Um, and the approach really is to just get your hands dirty and learn by doing. And the internet is full of free courses. Um, there's um, um, Google's Colab where you can actually even run some um, models on GPUs for free. So the in internet really is full of opportunities for you to get started and learn by doing completely for free. Um, and if, if you need some kind of people to motivate you along on that journey, then you should look up um, local communities and meetups and and just basically start there and, and solve some kind of projects with the help of others on hackathons, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, and then we've got uh, Lewis who's asked, um, how is data science revolutionizing Trainline? And I'm obviously conscious that um, you might not be able to tell us everything, but yeah. uh, is there anything that, um, is, is particularly interesting there about the work you're doing at Trainline? I mean, Trainline is a heavily data-driven business. It's a, it's a marketplace business. It's a kind of a platform business. We don't, we don't create tickets ourselves and um, all Trainline does, right, is create the connectivity between people who want to buy train tickets and the different train operators um, in the UK and across Europe um, to find and buy these tickets. And, and a lot of this is, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it, how complex the um, entire rail industry is and how complex it is to buy a ticket um, and how many tickets there are, et cetera. And so there's a lot of um, data there. It's a lot of complexity, which basically means um, there's a lot of value you can create in helping this process of buying tickets with data. And I mean, the kind of things which are released and um, like data science products is, for example, the split tickets um, train line has, has released where it's sometimes cheaper to buy two tickets than um, for a journey from A to B than um, and, um, for just one ticket. And um, I don't know whether that made sense. <laughs> but, no, 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 no. So, 
splitting a journey into like into two legs to buy two tickets is a huge combinatorial explosion with all the trains which exist and all the different kind of split points and stations where trains call etc so this was only possible through the application of data science um and and it's bring it's usually successful it brings cost savings to um to consumers and customers of train line um people people have more variety in options um and and it benefits everyone yeah awesome uh let me just have a quick look to see what other questions here so we've got paul who's asked which areas of business does data science have the biggest impact on? Um, he's he's given the example of sales, marketing, finance, etc. But are, are there particular areas that you you see data science having such a uh, sort of an outsized impact? Uh, it's really difficult. I mean, it depends. Um, it depends on the kind of industry um, and whether this is like a B two C or B two B business. Generally, you see most value. Um, currently still created by data science in B2B businesses and around like reducing the risk of um, business to business transactions. And there's a lot um, of teams who basically do risk modeling, um, fraud detection, et cetera, these kind of things. And, and it's all about reducing the cost of basically a B2B transaction. And there's, um, and the kind of B2C side, um, it is basically difficult because no one really wants a data science model, right? I mean, no consumer wants the output, a score from a model, right? This is just underpinning products, which um, hopefully use these scores in good ways to solve a customer problem, like a recommendation mm -hmm. engine, which is built on top of that and actually sends you um, really good recommendations, um, et cetera. And, and you don't have to browse um for hours you know like a content catalog to find that one thing you actually care about so that but again data science doesn't deliver this directly it is um a, a part of all these kind of products um, um we see out there and and so i i would say it's like it is not traditionally sales marketing and finance it's much more like in the b2c world it's like the product teams who build products cross-functional products they start to use data in their products to to basically serve customers better and on the b2b side it is yeah it is around risk management um fraud etc and i mean i guess that is more like generally like the finance sector, et cetera. Um, I, I don't have so much experience with that part of um, data science. I, I tend to work on kind of in kind of B2C companies um, and the kind of product angle yeah. <laughs> rather than, than like directly sales, marketing, et cetera. But they are all stakeholders of data science hopefully benefit at some point <laughs> from, from a model or from some kind of data pipeline. Yeah, well, I get that probably leads into another question that Hamad had. Um, that they've asked, do you think these are understanding, I guess, the, the benefits of of data and, and analytics, particularly in the current situation? Do, do you think companies are getting, I guess, to, to sort of paraphrase that a little bit, do you think companies are getting as much out of data as they could? Or is there still a very long way to go in mm -hmm. terms of companies starting to understand what they can actually, how they can benefit from having yeah. a data scientist on their team? So the, the truth is, we I mean, we we all heard the kind of 
hype, right? How data is the new oil or the new gold or is driving the next industrial revolution. Now, all of this we, we, we hear people say all the time. And if data is so valuable, I mean, in the last, you know, um, like 10, 20 years, you know, we went from like megabytes to gigabytes to terabytes to petabytes. And, and you do need to ask yourself, where is all that value? And it is really a good question, right? If data is so valuable, then why don't we see that transformational impact of all that data we basically now have to underpin every decision? You know, we use all this data in analytics to look at every decision a company makes these days, and we still make bad decisions, you know, we still um, develop products no one wants or likes, even so we do all that customer research. And you need to ask yourself what's going on. And it's it's actually the sad truth that the bigger the data set, the more it kind of begs you almost to find false meaning in it. And, and just shows the need of still like, kind of data scientists being around to help people to to apply statistics, et cetera, to these big data sets to actually find insights and patterns which generalize and actually are real. And um, I mean, I have an entire one hour talk on this kind of topic alone. Um, but yeah, it is it is a it's a big problem with big data sets. You can slice and dice them in so many different ways that you can find any preferred interpretation mm -hmm. in that data. You know, it's like if you need to like support a decision to make a change to your app and you're like, oh, you know, do we see customers um, doing X over Y? And you're like, well, not on iPhone, ah, but on Android on a Monday when they have, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> a London IP address, right? It's it's like that's the that's the problem of all this data that um it, it begs you to fall, find false meaning in it. And that's also the importance of data scientists and analysts to still have um a role to play. And we can't go all self-serve with this um with this data and um there's still a need for for data professionals to actually support companies in in their usage of data. Yeah, so people are starting to see the value, but they they don't know how to harness it without without the appropriate expertise. Is is that is that fair to say? I mean, if you if you you can see something which looks extremely good, but if it's a false positive, it will have no value. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that's really where companies struggle, and you actually see them investing so much time and energy in underpinning decisions with data and the data always tells them to do something and they always like oh we just followed the data but yeah if you if you don't understand statistics etc it is it's very easy to be very misled by data um and yeah that's it doesn't help that our human brains are evolved to to be this really powerful pattern detection um machines which which basically see patterns everywhere. They can't, you, you can't help it, right? I mean, we see, we see animals in clouds, et cetera. I mean, it's exactly the same happening when, when people look at big amounts of data and have like an ability to self-serve um, data. They start to look at all these clouds and start to see um, um, elephants and dinosaurs in them. So it is, it's the same with data and, and that's where the differentiation lays with like data actually creating value and data misleading you 
and you need still data scientists and analysts to to help you to actually harness the value and not be misled <laughs> yeah absolutely all right well i'm conscious we're we're sort of coming up in the end of, of end of time here if not if not over but i've got um just two rapid fire questions um that i might run past you that have that have come through the one is from salima she's just asked is is sql the same as sql yes <laughs> perfect um and uh another question um that's come through this is just a bit of a paraphrasing but is there a shortage of of data scientists at the moment are there are there more more roles than than data scientists or or has there sort of been um, has that problem been fixed more recently with the, um, the sort of master's programs and boot camps and that sort of thing? Um, so there, it's not as bad any longer. There are many, there's a much bigger talent pool now, and it doesn't help that a lot of companies went through this kind of um, post-hype um, cliff edge and kind of stopped a lot of their data science um, investments because it didn't in um, it didn't really return much value for them and are conscious now in like reinvesting and realize that for their kind of second attempt they want to have actual qualified leaders who understand data science to lead this kind of reinvestment to help them not to repeat that same mistakes um, and actually there is a shortage of these people which kind of holds back um, the kind of reinvestment a little bit but that will happen the, the future is data driven and regardless of what the current job market is there will be always new roles being created around the data um, domain um, as a data scientist and um, analyst um, you will always have a job if you stay you know um, agile and um, invest into your into your professional development to stay up to speed with the kind of heavy innovation in that field. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, and then the, the last one is just from Rudd. Uh, is there any way that um, people can get in touch with you? What's the, what's the easiest way to, to reach out to you? Um, LinkedIn, actually. So um, I, don't, I don't use Twitter, et cetera, um, any longer, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do respond there, usually within like one to three days, depending on how crazy my day is. But um, I really don't mind people getting in touch with with anything, any kind of question. I'm always trying to help where I can, or if it's just like pointing people into the right direction, right? Um, so yeah, I I am on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Um, get in touch. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and read the blog. Oh yeah, and and read my blog. I mean, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 